0: Welcome to the Rigging the Game podcast. Today's guest is Jedediah Collins. Jedediah's got an interesting background. He played college football and actually set a school record in 2007 for most catches by a tight end when he was playing for Washington State University and then went undrafted following the 2008 NFL draft and uh, ultimately moved around and was signed and cut a few different times from several different teams, but uh, ended up spending the bulk of his about eight-year career playing for the New Orleans Saints and actually transitioning from tight end to to fullback. So in this wide-ranging interview, we talk about some of the lessons that he learned uh, navigating life as an NFL player, and especially some lessons that he learned from from Drew Brees, but in particular, he then transitioned out of his playing career to working in financial planning. He spent uh, four years at a well-regarded financial planning institution in Seattle called Brighton Jones. And uh, during that time, got really involved in in speaking and now runs his own gig called called Rookie to Veteran, where he's sharing uh, what he learned uh, through his journey through the NFL How it applies to uh, to your life and to your your financial fitness, really. So hope you enjoy. I certainly did. Here's the big question.
1: Rigging the Game Podcast. If
2: you're looking to change
0: your family tree, redefine an industry, reach new limits, or live an unconventional life, how are, how are you setting yourself up to guarantee this will happen? This podcast is going to cut through all the cliche, cookie cutter, and conventional recommendations about finance, business, and life, and give you the tips you need to get the outcomes you want while playing your game. I'm Dan Nicholson, and this is, is, is the Rigging the Game Podcast. Welcome to the Rigging the Game podcast. I've got Jedediah Collins from
2: oh, most sorry. recently Bellevue.
0: Most recently Bellevue. Yeah. Uh, you've got a really fascinating background from the NFL to wealth management to financial education and, and everything in between. And what we love doing on the Rigging the Game podcast is to uh, talk to people who are non-conventional and uh, you certainly check the box on that, <laughs> right? And uh are looking at ways to uh, yeah to rig the game and have uh, built out principles and and uh, structures to do that. So thanks for coming on the sure. show. Happy I
2: love to show. it. And something that my childhood teachers have always said in a negative tone, it's nice to hear for the first time unconventional being a, a positive spin. So appreciate you both for having me on. Uh, and excited. Yeah, I, I love people who have that growth mindset and are, are looking for tips, tricks, tactics to kind of increase their life and kind of where they're headed. Identifying kind of the both of you as individuals and, and the careers you have. That's absolutely where I come from. How do I translate a, a core concepts to a lot of different facets?
0: Cool. So we'll probably jump around as we uh, typically do in the in the conversation. And so it's not necessarily a, a clear chronological order, because yeah. rarely uh, the things actually fit together in that need of a of a pattern but i guess maybe we start from a little bit from the from the beginning so uh to take me back you know when you you were a kid what what were you
2: like so i am a fourth of five children mm-hmm. uh, and then my baby sister actually passed so i became mm-hmm. the baby okay uh, which is a, a role that if anybody doesn't believe in birth order mm-hmm. they're an only child which in ended up itself kind of defines a personality but I have a lot of the characteristics of what that baby, the fourth child has. I've always been one to, I don't want to say break the rules, but push, push limits. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also been very sensitive and emotional. Um, And so that all plays into kind of who I am identified today. But one of the stories I love to, to share is this idea of king for the day. Um, so my dad developed this game. We They had five kids in seven years. So it was bing, bang, boom. All of us were just lined Focused. up in a row. Focused. And that's one word. That's <laughs> one way to say it. Uh, but as we played, so the three middle ones are all brothers. So we always played basketball. My dad played at Seattle U. Actually, I had my brother play at Seattle U. Another brother played at Cornell. So we were a basketball family. Uh, growing up, we play one-on-one basketball and the winner of the day got to be king and got to boss the other two brothers around. Okay. And so, you know, hey, somebody needs to take out the trash. Jed, go take out the trash. My dad would even play into it like, hey, the kennel hasn't been cleaned. Um, but what it taught me and kind of the principle that I get to stand on today is I only remember winning twice mm. as the youngest brother. Okay. Um, and it, it gave me that ability to to lose without being defeated and it really defined kind of the atmosphere of how i got to deal with struggles and challenges and being and losing uh without just giving up or quitting and it's you know you don't lose you learn and that is one of the, kind of the fundamental things that i look back now as the dots connect backwards and see my childhood and say if nothing else i learned how to be a great failure growing up yeah. and it's really defined kind of how i got to to go into a lot of different avenues today
0: so your brothers and your dad play college basketball
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, so, and you played basketball growing up. Mm-hmm. Then you end up in the NFL. So it's completely different path. Ultimately. Yeah. But what was your position in basketball
2: growing up? Uh, so style? I was called Barkley. So I was kind okay. of a, a power forward. <laughs> that being said, I mean, the reason I was basketball was not going to be my future. I'm six one, arguably 6'2". Mm-hmm. Both my brothers are 6'5", six 6'6". Six six. They're 200 pounds. I was 250 pounds. Uh, so genetically, uh, the kind of sports define ourselves. I was really good though. Like that's, I, I say the only reason I have had success in football because my parents said let me play football growing up until high school um, was because basketball is the most most fluid athletics there is Mm -hmm. and I love to take you know the premier wide receiver out on a football field I'm like all right let's go play a little one-on-one and you just see the lack of that fluidity because they've never developed that skill so I would say my my position growing up was a power forward because i wasn't tall enough to be a center i wasn't quick enough to be a point guard though i did play a little point guard uh and again the skill that i had why i got the the nickname barkley was because i was a great rebounder that again outliers was not by chance my oldest brother shot my middle brother passed i rebounded and you after a thousand balls coming off the rim you start to see the spin and the angles and i could go up against a six seven six eight guy and position him and out-rebound him based yeah. on kind of that upbringing. That's awesome.
0: What position did you want to play? So we're about the same height. I think the only thing I got to do, maybe I'm a half an inch taller.
2: Yeah. Everything else
0: <laughs> can't break about, but uh <laughs> so take, take what I can
2: get. I and always so wanted I was, to be the shooting guard. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, you know, that, that, that off guard. Rip Hamilton, kind of being able to sh- pull up and shoot a jumper, uh, but then also step back and shoot threes. But I was never a shooter. And uh, even through high school, I was a, a good basketball player, but I played football, and we were good at football. And so I didn't even get to basketball until, like, game five of the season. And so part of it was, all right, well, how, how do I add value without being the primary scorer? Right, right. But, yeah, everybody wants That's to be funny. the primary scorer. right. So true.
0: So true. And there's this through line of entrepreneurs who all want to be a shooting guard, it seems like. Yeah. And uh, a lot of us, we're almost rebelling against being put under the hoop.
2: I see. And so, again, we're going to jump around. So I'm, I'm feeling free to, to yeah, do that. So. But one of the things I had to identify as I left college and went to the NFL was that idea I wasn't going to be a shooting guard. I was going to be a power forward rebounder, and that was the transition for me from going as a pass-catching tight end in college to a lead-blocking fullback in the NFL, Um, and I actually have a great picture example of the identifier of me was no longer going to be the ball carrier, the guy. I was going to be the guy behind the guy who set up that guy, Um, and it was that humility. It was that realization, and it was that identification of as an entrepreneur, what is your focus? What is your job number one? Yeah. If you can't tell me exactly who you are supposed to be, then you're going to lose the prioritization of everything else that is going to distract you from that. So it's, it's an interesting concept. Like I've never really identified it from the basketball to football to my career, but uh, that, that's definitely a, a, a loss. I, I actually get to talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and they can't specifically say this is who I want to be. Yeah, we do this exercise,
0: and Nick, feel free to chime in, um, where we talk about your authentic story and what your style of play is in business. Mm. And the common thread is that when we talk to folks about what their default sport was growing up as a, as a kid, and we ask them what their preferred style of play was at that point, that that tends to be the way that they are also in business. Interesting. And there's something about how, as a kid, you kind of get to choose that style of play to some degree. Uh, obviously there's other factors, yeah. right? Brothers, dad, team environment, but to some degree you get to choose the sport, you get to choose your style of play. And then as you get older, you kind of get forced into these other other mm-hmm. buckets. And then when you start a business, you, you kind of get to choose, am I going to play my game or am I going to play somebody else's game? And so oftentimes your game
1: is what it was, again when you were when you were a kid
2: yeah i love that
1: yeah i think there's a um there, there's something i used to say which is you can't win a race you don't want to be in uh-huh. and you know that most people are running every somebody else's race like even if you win you lose uh but then i started working with dan and we got this language around uh playing your game or he has a language around playing your game there's something that people do that, that we've also realized going through this process is that uh Jed, you're talking about, you know, like really identifying or defining your role. And in doing so, you also have to define what success is, right? Like what does success look like to me? And by and large, entrepreneurs, maybe everybody, but entrepreneurs especially, because that's who we work with, uh, they never really define that because in doing so, they do another thing, which is if you define who you are and what success is, you've also defined what failure is. Right, So you can't hide behind all those other things that you do that that maybe represent the trappings of success. Um, And so that's another struggle is that um, they're not playing their game, they're not clear on their role, and there's some resistance to identifying that game and that role. Because once you identify it, once you say it out loud, uh, you can't hide behind anything else
2: as being successful, right? And that is truer to me today than ever and it's really that identification and, and you're right and i i've, I've long wondered because i've been a lifelong athlete uh and being that athlete you you're structured to begin with the end in mind what is the championship what is the super bowl what is and then we build out we reverse engineer the season and everything practice and training camp to get to that goal and so you always can define success as a, that perspective um But again, you you can't win a race you don't want to be. in. so what is success to you? Um, the, The kind of quote that is defining my life right now is failure is an answer. Regret is a lifelong question. And so not defining what success is, is making you regretful because you will always be questioning what you could have been. The premier or the best at but that identification of and that's from a career an entrepreneur from a financial from a marriage if you don't know kind of what beginning with the end in mind beginning with your your goal and the the success story is you're never going to be able to get there so i i I love that quote and i love that kind of uh direct addressing of why people shy away from becoming their, their kind of focal point of who who I am and what success looks like is because of that fear. And that's a, a fear we continually face.
0: And you just made a big shift in your career. Again, we're jumping around a little bit yeah. and we'll fit all the pieces together over time. But sort of that, you're, you're living by that quote and the actions that you're taking. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about what you've got going on and, and what led you to to make the, sh- the shift that you're making now.
2: Uh, so... Right now I, I see my, my world as jet football, NFL, Jet Finance, CFP, and what is kind of this next chapter, this next avenue going to be. I came to the realization that the the fortune good fortune I had to be in those locker rooms was something I took for granted because I looked at the best in the world, and I said, "Oh, well, all these guys have the same set of principles or the same code." And as I left those locker rooms, that I w- started to walk into corporate boardrooms or leadership teams or, or sales teams, whatever, I realized how how fortunate I was and how much that that structure meant to me, and how many people were seeking that that roadmap or those life hacks, and so. Then I couple on with the idea, my world was changed my rookie year when I got handed a $30,000 check and that that check changed my life because it introduced me to a, a financial mindset of I got a $30,000 check and I spent all $30,000. I, I married a girl from Bellevue and uh, I bought an engagement ring and okay. anybody who knows Bellevue, Washington knows, <laughs> knows where most of that money went. But you know, my wife and I, we celebrated 10 years of marriage. It was a great investment poor, poor financial decision. I'll tell her that to her face today. But that idea of spend, 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 I didn't have any idea how to handle money. So I then became a saver. So I started to look at money and say, well, I want to go on vacation or I want a car, I want to buy a house. I'm going to save up for that specific prospect. And nobody ever introduced me to this idea of being an investor and actually having money go to work for me. So when I got that $30,000 check, I turned to my brothers. One was uh, getting a master's in engineering at Berkeley. The other was getting a, a law degree at Harvard. And I said, well, what would you guys do if you got this check? I mean, I'm the baby bro. Come on, give me some good advice and guidance. And they had no answer. And so it really opened my eyes to the lack of financial education. And not only that, but the lack of financial empowerment, not just telling me what to do, but telling me how to go do it. I I would even begin with the why to do it as, as Nate was talking about, you know, identifying what success and failure is. That's a very, very important role. But as I look at my world today, I say, I'm combining two of the good fortunes I've had to experience through my life, which is this roadmap of of a mentality that's going to take me to success through the NFL and these principles of finance that I I feel the nation and people need to be educated and empowered on. And as I look at where I want to be in five, 10 years, I need to be able to focus that and be that let that be my defining success or failure and be my job. Number one at the company I'm currently with, they are phenomenal at what they do. Uh, the company called Brian Jones, they are wealth managers and it's a simple crossroads of does my vision match their vision? Their vision has been a very successful company in doing what they do. My vision is to go empower the country, both from athletic motivation and, and, and roadmap as well as financial empowerment. Uh, and so i get to look at the fear of i have a great job i have a great career with a great company but it's not necessarily what i would define as success looking forward five to ten years and that's playing the chess game of life you know if, if you separate yourself from checkers which is just move across the board to actually formulating a strategy and defining what a checkmate is you begin to blessing and a curse live and see things into the future and i i stand today and i say well my life hack is happiness and wellness and prioritization of family and what i want and that is going to be better had chasing and pursuing this passion of mine mm-hmm.
0: so you've got a couple of books coming out and you're really transitioning to doing more speaking and and more sort of i guess i i call it coaching but i don't know what you yeah. call
2: it uh you know some people have definitely identified me as a as a money coach or a life coach Some people, because my name's Jedediah, I want to really tie on to the Jedi thing. Uh, So (laughs) there might be a play in there somewhere, but my first book is going to come out in January. It's called The Money Vehicle. uh, And it's truly intended for the entire population of people who say, I don't know where to start in their financial journey. Beginning with the first question of why do you care, how pensions and social security are going away and how we're all driving our own money vehicle and all the way up through actionable items to take in your financial planning. The second book later in 2020, maybe early 2021, uh, will be that rookie to veteran. And so that will be more the, the principles uh, and behaviors I adopted watching the best in the world. These are not my principles. I, I share a story, but then I also pivot and identify how you can take the job number one concept and principle and how I came across it transitioning from, you know, tight end to fullback in the NFL and realizing what I needed to focus on and how that translates into each and every one of our lives. Whether I'm a salesperson, I, I'm a client service person, I'm a leader, I'm just starting day one yesterday. It's the same principles of success that translate into every facet of our lives. So those are kind of the two areas and worlds I'm, I'm continuing to venture into. And what's really fun and really neat is getting to meet and connect with people like the two of you and say, you know, we're all on this, this search and this journey. Um, and how we connect with each other identifies both the impact and the success of, of the road we're on. But it's also this new neat day and age where you know we get to talk online with people in other states and we get to I, identify and see both the, the, the success and the struggles. We're all kind of seeking out and searching. And I, I definitely want to be the first one to say struggles are real. I had a very real life situation last week where a, a, a friend of mine submitted to the struggles and it's like hey one thing we're missing on all this connectivity is that identification that everybody has bad days and everybody needs support help so kind of a combination and I'm just I'm really excited to see the world I'm headed into because it's it's a it's an exciting world
1: I have uh, a first sir. yeah Jed I have two questions for you real quick okay you played for Washington State, were
2: you a Cougar? Yeah, uh, be Washington State, absolutely, go Cougars. And then,
1: uh, and then uh, Detroit and New Orleans, Lions Saints.
2: Yeah, well, so NFL, I, I had about a dozen stops, but primarily down in New Orleans, and then my last year was in Detroit, yes. All right, so this is the first question is, are you a Seahawks fan? I am becoming a Seahawks fan, so I'm going to be a hoot at. New Orleans changed my life and gave me an opportunity, no one else would, but I've got to work with the Seahawks on financial education and becoming more and more part of that organization to some degree so I absolutely would love to see their continued success and I I identify and appreciate the atmosphere that they have down there from Pete Carroll to uh, Mo Kelly who's the player personnel representative they have a very neat culture that I I would fully support. Awesome Um,
1: and the next one is you shared uh, and I I just want to throw this out there and talk about it a little bit as we go on. Um, you shared a lofty goal right before we started this
2: podcast, right? Uh, do you mind sharing that? Absolutely. So my goal is uh, a million people. I, I want to impact and influence and empower uh, a million people on a national stage. And to do that, I realized I, there are a lot of steps in between me and that goal, but It's that identification of what success looks like to me. I I think from a just pure financial perspective, empowering a million people in the next few years around how to better take control and own their financial story is phenomenal. And how I'm going to do that just not in an educational way, but through the empowerment is going to be tying in those Rookie to Veteran principles. That's awesome.
1: So when you look at that, and I think of the same thing of um, somebody, when you say, hey, you want to win the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. right? Or um, you want to be a New York Times bestselling author, or you want to help a million people. Do you approach it with, hey, I want to be a New York Times bestseller? Or do you approach it from, I want to go through the process of writing the best book I could possibly write? Because those are two different things, right? So when you approach, I want to help a million people, you know, to to avoid looking at the scoreboard, so to speak, you Mm -hmm. can't win the game if you're
2: staring at the scoreboard the whole time.
1: What is the, what is the process? Like what is the thing
2: that you're just on every day? I love that. And uh, I love the quote, you know, you you take care of the, the practice and the scoreboard will take care of itself. So one of the things and concepts I love to communicate is this idea that people will, and you can't be a prophet in your own land, you know, My brother-in-law told me, you know, financial education, like, it's never going to work. You know, it's been done before. Like, it's just not going to happen. But my process to my system and what gets me energy every day is I get to smile. I look at him and I look at the world and I say, I get it. Change a million people, that's miles and miles of people. Like, I I don't think I can do that today or tomorrow. What I can do is I, I can steal an inch. I can change an inch because that would be one person. And that perspective gives me incremental gains as I go out and I deliver a workshop as I send out a piece of content as I introduce myself to people through mediums such as the the atmosphere you're providing me uh, I can steal inches daily and that's how I'm truly going to add up and get to the the ultimate objective is by identifying where are those marginal gains I can go and get and and no longer focusing on the long line of miles of people but focusing on one world at a time I'll, I'll finally evolve and get to the point where I can change the world. If I just focus on the one at a time.
1: What do you, um, I tell people all the time cause, cause people do get caught up on, um, uh, that finish line. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's just exactly what you just said is if you focus on the process, the finish line kind of comes to you mm-hmm. Like you look up and like, Oh, Hey, I did it. So I love that. I love the, the way you articulate that. Thank you. Yeah. So it's all about the long game, right?
0: Yes. And. Uh, that's something that I think that the, the three of us share is is not focusing on winning today, but mm-hmm. because you've got to make a bunch of sacrifices that probably aren't actually worth it to try to try to win in this exact moment. Yeah, I call it first we optimize, then we maximize. Mm-hmm. That's one of my principles. Can you share a few of your principles that you've? kind of built into your process or that you find are maybe the most, the, either the lead
2: domino or the most impactful? Yeah. So uh, one of them is identifying that, that long-term strategy. Uh, I, I identify it as the difference between playing checkers and playing chess. So you move in piece by piece or, or are you identifying each move in the strategy and seeing three or four spaces ahead. Uh, and you look at a corporate structure around that thought process, Amazon, easy example, never, ever sacrifice the long-term game for a short-term result. Uh, And you see them practice that. You look at a social media perspective of that. Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Gary V, man, changed my life. But he looks at it and says, go ahead and give, give away the short-term because it's going to aggregate into a long-term success. So one of those identifications is is checkers to chess. I, I love sharing Uh, An example around the biggest difference between college and pros are that identification of inches, but The two that I I really would love to share with you guys is number one, the idea of of building out your routines. And then number two, the idea of enjoying the hunt. And so Drew Brees, I got to work with for four years and see his presence every day in the building. And he was the most habitual person I've ever been around. Mm. And it began with what time he walked into the building, he walked into a a, a dark building and I was a breakfast clubber. Again, I was an undrafted no name guy. So I, I prided myself on always being one of the first ones in, but I'd walk through a dark alley or, or a dark hallway and, the only room with light was a screen and it was the quarterback room. And it's like, this guy's the best player on the team. And he was the first one in here. Uh, You go out and you'd see his, his meals, his hot tub, his stretches, his throws, his identification of the script. were all routine oriented out in drills. He would be the first quarterback in 20 years. I saw throw pass on the first read and then his hands, his eyes, his feet would track to a second, third, fourth, and fifth, every rep. Most quarterbacks throw the ball, walk back to the huddle. He would finish out the process. And so finally I had to ask. And what you love about him is Drew, everybody says he's a great, great football player, which he is. He is twice the man. He is a football player and he is 10 times the leader. And he got philosophical with me and he said, you know, you are what you repeatedly do. I try to identify my reward and then I build out my routine in the cues accordingly And he backed into that strategy. And, you know, you you read Power of Habits or Atomic Habits, any of those resources, you see that sequencing. But he would always say, well, in the middle of the game, I don't want to be focused on where my hands are supposed to go or my feet or where the next check down or where the read is. I want to be focused on the reward. How do I beat the team and and score? And so that to me was a principle that I walked away and I said, okay, two things I want to be very, very sure of is what are my rewards and the, what are my cues throughout my day? What are setting off my habits and my routines? Because that's really how I'm going to structure and, and change things. And so it's that identification of my cue each morning, each time I go into a meeting, all these sequences that I really start to separate myself from that perspective building out my systems and there's a lot of principles that i love to live by and i would share but the 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 other one i i really want to emphasize because it gets into a little bit of the the end game and kind of the the wellness and the holistic viewpoint is this idea of enjoying the hunt you know success is is a fleeting moment gone by satisfaction in in a moment but If you don't enjoy the hunt, if you don't enjoy the process, the kill is never really going to satisfy you. Mm -hmm. And a question people ask me was, what was the difference between a guy who hit one Pro Bowl and a guy who was a perennial seven, 10-year Pro Bowl player? And I truly can honestly say the the guys who are 10-year dominant at their position, they love the process. Mm -hmm. They are the ones who... I was a guy fighting to make it on the bubble. I would be in the weight room at 530 every morning. And to my left would be one of the best receivers of all time. To my right would be a first round running back. Over there would be a defensive lineman who was the top of in his game. And that is who I looked at. And I started to say, those are who I want to surround myself with. And you, you look in that room and you say, there's not a rookie in here. There's not a, a young player in this room. Why? because they don't understand the processes yet. They don't understand the the benefit of actually submitting to them and, and truly engulfing in them and being able to enjoy that hunt, that grind. And it's, you know, it's no different than climbing the mountain is once you get to the top, you get to look out and you get to smile. But if you didn't enjoy the like steps along the way, what was the point? Right,
0: right. So many questions that bubbled to my mind as as listening to you. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't rewind the tape a little bit. You were talking about cues. Yes. Uh,
2: What are some cues that you have set up as part of your So, I mean, first one is bright and early, five o'clock in the morning. You know, you're not functioning great. And so my cue is having everything I need for that day already laid out. And so I know when I walk into the kitchen, I have my my pre-workout, my greens, my vitamins, my clothes, my lunch, everything already there. Boom, cue, routine. I can get pretty much halfway to the gym before I really know what's happening in the morning. Another cue I have is with about five or 10 minutes left in each meeting. I love this idea of remaining curious. So I turn the script to... Well, how can I help this individual? That's a great routine and then, or, or great cue is I know I want to end with the, the true understanding of this meeting was meant for both my gain and their gain. So how do I build that into a habit of reflecting that I'm, I'm truly here to be curious around how we can both improve from this? And then, you know, the, the last cues are always at the end of the day, get home and go see your, your wife and your kids. And so I, I have a lot of different sequences around what my cue is that I need to get out of here and go home. Okay. Awesome. What's a good, what's a cue that you get you to use throughout the day?
1: Oh yeah. That's, either that's a good question. Nick, I think you've probably got several. Oh, I have recently moved, recently moved to orange County, different time zone. So everything's everything right. uh, upside down and backwards. So I'm actually working, uh, for, for six years, it was the same same keystone habits. Woke up at the same time, uh, did the same thing. I actually took a nap at 10.30 every day, woke up at 11, went to the gym, and then looked at the second part of a day as like a new day. Like a you know, whole day's work done in that morning. Wow. Uh, uh, since moving, uh, it's, it's been tinkering with, with gym time, trying to reset those keystone habits and, and find those cues. So it's, it's good to have this conversation and just remember how important it is. Uh, once you lose those keystone habits, you know, what you build everything around. Um, it becomes really easy to just to just say, yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty well. I can just keep going willy nilly. Uh, I think I woke up at seven o'clock this morning, which is, you know, I've always been a five o'clock guy. Mm-hmm. So re- rebuilding them, but it's uh, my I have keystone habits, which is always it's always really exercise is something I've done my whole life. Chad, um, you're probably similar given the the athletic background. Uh, my keystone habits always start with. My primary calls, I have a couple companies and we have this call at the same time every week. So that's one keystone. And the other one is my exercise. And I try to build everything around, around those things. Um, I have dogs now. I got two puppies, so one of the things, um, and I got two and they're litter mates and they're crazy. So one of the things now is I got to make sure I walk them. I got to make sure I feed them. I, and th- these are all things that I'm starting to build those, those cues and the routine around. But it's, uh,
2: it's different. than the dogs.
1: They're uh, they're half their their dad is a husky, Siberian husky, and their mom was an Arctic wolf. So they're uh, wow. they're, a little, they're scary looking and they're huge, but they're the sweetest dogs ever. But given the given the, the wolf nature, we actually have to be very very careful about uh, domesticating them and, and socializing them. So it's it's become a big part of uh, my days to make sure that we don't mess that up.
0: So uh, when we met. Jed, in our first meeting, you had sort of talked about how there's a certain mentality that you have in an NFL game and that you're able to kind of channel that mentality when you're doing public speaking. Mm -hmm. Are there cues that you use for that? How
2: do you find, I guess, how do you find that intensity? Well, one of them I actually saw you start with right before we began, which is breathing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I consider that as one of the best cues to kind of relax, recover, and reset my mindset. But truly public speaking is, I don't want to say easier to me than the average person, but I know I get to walk off the stage and I know nobody's going to try to hit me. So that immediately (laughs) takes a a little bit of the the fear down a a notch. Um, But my cue with speaking is number one what is the the number one message I want everybody to walk away with? And then number two, what is the action item I want everybody to walk away with? And if I can truly have the cue of identifying the audience and even being out a few minutes early and meeting some of them and saying, I know who they are, I know what I want them to leave with, my cue is just simply submitting to the idea that I am not a great presenter, the content is not life altering, what they walk out of here with is the change. Um, And that is really the the cue and routine and reward sequence of I really need to cue, identify that what and that, uh, that what I want them to hear and then what I want them to do. And then the routine aspect kind of flows into that of everything I could go do, I no longer want to just deliver three hour, one hour, 20 minute entertaining segment. With fifteen different things, I need you to focus on one because nobody can walk out of a, an hour presentation with six or seven to-do items. If you can get everyone to do that one, that is that is the purpose. Right? right.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good takeaway. And there is this sense I think that people have of uh, my presentation will only be good if there's a wow factor, and the wow factor means like I'm just hitting them with yeah. so many. <laughs> Nuggets or knowledge bombs that they're just going to be so wowed by how smart and how knowledgeable
2: I am. Yeah. And to your point, not at all, not at all. Uh, So I actually say, because uh, you know, 2019 I'll I'll have delivered almost a hundred workshops and I've changed a lot of my semantics around. I don't deliver presentations. Sure. I'll do keynotes. Keynotes are different. Um, But even in the keynotes, I still have that same intention, but I don't do presentations, I host and facilitate workshops, because then I get to turn the power onto the individual and say, you heard the story, you heard the implication, how are you going to go use it? We're going to take two or three minutes and identify it that way. Um, And so uh, two other semantic things I love to share are, I don't say budget budget's limiting uh, and it's, it's defining. I say cash management, that's empowering, that's something you can control. I don't say retirement. Again, retirement is a number and it's, it's a, a limiting factor. Freedom is a choice and it's defined by purpose and passions. And it is again, our intention around, my intention around money is to get you to use it and stop just working for it. So when you use it, it's, you see it as a verb and an actionable item. Same as a, as a presentation, same as a project, same as an interaction with a colleague. You need to see the medium for what it is. Money is a medium to get you to where you want to go. I go have a conversation with a colleague, that is the medium to, for us to team up and go and do this project together. So the reward and the result is the project together. This is just the exchange. How do I identify the purpose and how I control this? And that really helps me again with reactions and breathing and doing all those things. So there's a,
0: there's a theme that I'm picking up on, which goes back to what you said about when you, you were a rookie and you got this $30,000 check and you, you invested it in a long-term relationship. right? Um, (laughs) Good catch. And, uh, uh, and then you figured out, hey, there's maybe a different way that I should approach my finances. And and then you just were talking about how you've done over 100 uh, presentations this year, and you figured out sort of these semantics and, and and also the observations you had from Drew Brees and other players who sort sort of were the best at, at what they do. How if you figure those things out? What do you what
2: do you think it is? So the number one, if everybody was going to leave here with, with my one action, would be to write. I think writing is a lost art and a lost, truly, skill set. I've been a journaler. Again, there was five kids. I'm the only one that journals of the five, but my father journaled, and he, that was one of the things he kind of pushed on us, and I just adopted it. And so I have 15 to 20 journals. My my whole NFL travels, I, I would look at turning into a book one day, call it undrafted, and kind of see from a fly on the wall perspective, but writing, one, your, your brain functions at the speed you are actually able to put pen to paper. And, and that rhythm, similar to walking, something about that sequencing unleashes a lot of things. But also, when you just write subconsciously and just let whatever emotion or thought is running through you, you will start to identify. When you go back and reread it and self reflect on what happened today, what you're feeling, what you're looking at for tomorrow, whatever the situation that you're writing about is, you'll start to see things that you never established. And whether you're a spiritual or religious person, I really think this is the closest you can get to having a higher power speak to you because it is truly going to set you on a path that says, this is what I am truly embodying, pouring it out, and now I get to interpret it. Now I get to see how I can improve it, how I can adjust it. What was my cue that set me down a bad track? What was my cue that set me down a good track? And truly seeing how all of these things kind of combine into, this better version of yourself Uh, not identifying that you're a poor version today but always seeing that inch of improvement for tomorrow Um, so journaling or writing i think are tremendous if you want to become a better presenter and a better speaker uh, writing is where it all begins um, but just that self reflection, I think is such a valuable tool. Um, because rookie to veteran or financial principles, these are not things I've created, I'm translating them and communicating them a different different way but good artists borrow, great artists steal. I'm just stealing from the best I get to witness and be around and writing it down is what is my secret sauce is I have those notes from watching a Drew Brees or, or watching a 12 year veteran or talking to that CEO or hearing that entrepreneur. I've written all of those things down. So that's, that's how I get to do it is just by documenting. Yeah. When do you do it? Time. All times of the day. Um, so whether it's on my phone that I get to translate later, uh, I love doing it as I go to sleep, but it is also best to grab a piece of paper and a pen when you're very emotional and just you know as opposed to taking it out on somebody your spouse your colleague your your boss take it out on on a pen and paper and you are going to see a whole dialogue that you would have never been able to sit and analyze before is it completely unfiltered when you do it completely unfiltered yeah. so which I don't Honey, don't read.
0: Don't, uh, yeah, that's this There are 32. definitely parts
2: where uh, it's like, you know, you, but I look back on those and I say, those are the ones I want her to read. Mm. Uh, because I absolutely write about the moments I love her. And I write about the moments I'm, I'm upset and fed up. And that's that intimacy and vulnerability. Again, social media, you only see the ups, not the downs. I think it's a really interesting progress that we're starting to try to be vulnerable and intimate publicly and say, hey, I have bad days, I struggle, I I get challenges, I'm scared, I'm scared out of my mind thinking about what 2020 is gonna bring. But I base it based on what Nick said earlier is focus on the process, focus on the systems, and I know the results are gonna get there. And that's where I'm in belief. And same with my marriage, same with my finances, same with being a father or a a entrepreneur, whatever it is, I, I believe in building out my habits and those are going to lead to my ultimate success. But no, don't don't hide from yeah. yourself. Do you share
0: it? Do you actually share your journal pages with with your wife?
2: Every now and again. Every now I'll, and, again. and yeah. Most of it will because like, I get to like I get to flip back. And that is one of the most best experiences I get to enjoy. I'm kind of a nerd. But uh, I get to flip back. And some days I'll be like, hey, babe, do you remember day four of our honeymoon? Mm. Because here it is. And I get to read it and because yeah. I captured it and documented it. And that to me is... Everything, whether that's day four of my honeymoon, you know, the fourth time I got cut in the NFL, my fourth day on my corporate job, um, or my fourth day in college. And, you know, let's be real, there's probably a lot of things in college I didn't write down, uh, and a lot of nights that I'll not only have not written down nor remembered, but it's the growth of me, and it's it's truly identifying, hey, I want, to, I want my kids to meet Jedediah at 22. I want them to meet him at 32. I want him to meet him at 42. And not just the fatherly advice, but the I get to look at my dad's journey and see the crazy struggles and the fears he hid from us as kids. Mm -hmm. When you have five kids and you own your own law firm and a big case goes south, that is detrimental. But he got to escape through his journals and not through his children. That's that's huge. That's so huge to... to
0: have those those insights, I think, is... I, I know I still struggle with with uh, trying to be the man and dad that mm. I believe that my dad is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I see him as this, like, warrior who yeah. always had this incredible amount of energy. He had my, my sister and I much younger than I had kids. Uh, but I always see them as sort of this kind of perfect human that I'm always kind of measuring myself against. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, now he shares some of these struggles, but I don't have those insights of like when I was four or five yeah. and he was dreading, you know, Everything. bath time yeah. or the things that I feel like I'm dreading. <laughs> dreading now. So
1: that's, that's cool. There's a, there's a concept. And I always try to say, I don't want to guess if I don't have to. Right. And I know Dan is similar. Uh, Jed, you might be similar I track everything. I don't always look at the data because sometimes it's stressful. And I, I just recently started writing probably three years ago. But there's a lot of things. I always say the science of hindsight, you know, if if we can use the science of hindsight, then we're in a pretty good position. Uh, and that's what I'm thinking about as I'm listening to their journaling and looking back at, you know, four years ago, five years ago, six years ago is, is utilizing, again, what, what I call the science of hindsight and um, being able to use that, right? To to figure out maybe, uh, whether it be orient yourself or figure out what to do next, or even just remember like not forgetting where you came from and so I, I love that that you 've journaled for so long i'm it 's something that I try to be consistent with because i, I there's so much there 's so much power in just having having the data right having the
2: information and being able to reflect back on it yeah and one thing and you'll appreciate it. one thing I love is working out next to the the guy or the gal and they have a notebook with them and they're writing down their workouts. so that that's never like i guess in some sports like the coach gives you a, a sheet to work out with but i am thoroughly impressed with people who have done that for years and just say man, I know where my, my routines and my repetitions and everything have been. And when I've been at my peak and when I've been at my lows. Uh, so that's a, an aspect I'm sure you'd connect with, but as a, as just that aspect of, of physical wellness, that's an easy one to start tracking.
1: Yep. Dan has a, uh, again, I, I feel a lot of Dan's language, uh, the pulse, he, you know, track, track the pulse of your business over time. So you can identify, is this an environmental thing? Like, you know, maybe I'm slow every November, so I don't need to freak out. Uh, for me, for me, I'm heavy, right? I'm heavy every winter allergies or whatever it may be. But, you know, I've weighed myself every day for like six years and I'm aware of that pattern. So I don't freak out I don't yeah. change my behavior. I just know that this is a pattern and we do that in business. We,
2: I, I do that in everything in every aspect of life if I can. Could What's it be the Christmas cookies?
1: Christmas cookies. I'm not really a foodie. <laughs> I eat the same thing every day. So... Oh, I uh, Dan, love that. Dan's the Oreo guy. Dan's gotten in trouble with Oreos before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know if you've heard my two Oreo principal story. No. Um, so I'll just, I'll, I'll share it since Nick Nick brought it up. So uh, last year, we, near the end of the year, I was like, why did I, how did I gain like 10 pounds? Mm. And so I was thinking back on, did I change many behaviors? And nothing really stood out. And then as I thought about it more, I was like, oh, you know, we moved and in the process of moving, I found where my wife's snack cabinet was. So in the previous house, I just, like, ignored where she yeah. kept her snacks. And so she's one of those uh, those people who just, like, I'll just have one. Yeah. Right? And then, like, she'll forget about it or just won't be kind of gnawing at her. And so she can just sort of, like, take a piece here or there, And whereas I'm, like, I'm going to, I'm com- now committed to these snacks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pursue these snacks until they are gone, basically. Uh, so I don't, like when I was a bachelor, I didn't buy, just, you know, buy yeah, any cookies and, and stuff because I know I'm just going to destroy it. And so I knew where her snacks were. And so basically what I realized is like, I think I've been eating an average of like two Oreos a day over the last year. Not literally two Oreos every day, but, but like overall, yeah. overall, like I've added these two Oreos. And so then, because I'm also a nerd, I had to run the numbers on that. And so if you eat single stuffed, uh, that's like 11, the equivalent of 11 pounds worth of calories. Whoa. And if you do double stuffed, which let's be honest, that's why are we not, why are we not doing yeah. double stuffed? Uh, the marginal gain is 13, 13 pounds. So actually like you might as well, this is for that's... your data that you should do the, the double stuffed because the utility right for two pounds more for right anyhow that's an aside so that's good lesson uh, right (laughs) right um, so that became the two oreo principle which is basically this like compounding interest concept Mm -hmm. which is that the seemingly small thing that I didn't really register that I had to really think about actually adds up to something that I need to take Mm -hmm. action on like losing 10-12 pounds that's not going to happen in a couple of days like I need to make a few changes, right? So in our businesses and, and in our personal financial situation, we add these two Oreos, these small things that are $50 here, $70 there, $100. And they hit our bank account and we see it and we go, oh, I really need to cancel that thing that I don't use. But it's only $50 There's it's only mm-hmm. $70. And I don't have the time to deal with $70. So I'll deal with it later. But you have 20 of those things that actually add up to mm-hmm. 10 pounds, 13 pounds, right? And so basically the question that I ask my my clients uh, quarterly really is like, how many Oreos have you added to your business yeah. over the last three, three months or six months that we can cut out that are compounding into something significant? And the easiest way to cut it out is to... Um, just cancel and have your card reissued so that those auto charges yeah, yeah. end and then you get all these
2: notifications, I hate that, by the way,
0: yeah, we're just yeah. auto charges, especially the things that are annual, the thing you signed up for the apps that are like an yeah. annual charge that then you get the notification that's already been billed right you're Like I haven't used that in 11 months basically or 11 and a half months. I yeah. used it for like two weeks pass the free trial, get charged the annual, and then I forgot about it, right? So if you issue, if you get a new card, don't can't actually close your account, that's gonna impact your credit and all that, but mm-hmm. just get a new card so that uh, now you're gonna get notification, and then you opt, then you get to decide to opt back in, easier to
2: opt in than to opt out. Yeah. So yeah, that's the Oreo principle. That's amazing, I, so, I love that. And, cool. and truly, compound effect, compound interest, is one of those messages i think everybody in the world you obviously understand it communicate it in a really neat way with the oreo concept but that's this that's the world i want to live is how do you tell oreo stories about money principles right. to get people to understand them right if you just
0: say compound interest
2: Lowry, people have yeah, already glazed lost interest like, um,
0: yeah no longer basically this is going to be a really boring conversation yep. because you said compound interest when you say oreos or nfl yeah. or sports or our eighth maybe, wonder of the eighth world wonder of the world right um okay people are like okay what's that what is that yeah so uh i guess maybe final question for you anything that you want people to to take away from our conversation or want to know about about you and what you've got going on
2: i love people uh i get energy i got energy from this session with you guys so i love connecting networking uh we've talked actually before we began around the power of Of building a network and and truly seeing that as the long-term power of life. So I welcome anybody who wants to reach out, connect with me, LinkedIn. I joined Instagram about two or three months ago because enough young people told me I had to do (laughs) Um, and I'm venturing possibly into TikTok because why not? But LinkedIn, what I love and I welcome and I would challenge people is what are your questions? You know, and you get to seek out information and guidance from people like on these platforms. But from a financial perspective, from a principal's perspective, uh, I welcome questions because that's where I get to create content. That's where I get to kind of flip the script and say, this is being asked by 20 people. I need to go and address this and answer this one. Um, And so that's kind of how the, the money vehicle began was here are the first 10 questions I heard a lot of. And then we kind of build from there. But truly, as I as I just say, thank you. Very honored, humbled, and grateful to, to share this stage with you guys. I would just say I love to connect with people and to continue to grow. So as, as you see fit in that direction, by all means, reach out. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for jumping on. And uh, we'll have to do a part two at some point. All I right. hope so. You awesome. guys enjoy the day. Yeah. Take care.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the Rigging the Game podcast. You can find show notes and much, much more at www.riggingthegame.com. And remember, you get to set the rules for how you play this game of life. So if you make the rules, why not rig the game to win?